This is the Mornington Peninsula Regional Galleries Conversation Series. We are talking to 2020 National Works on Paper $15,000 award winner, Annika Romain. Hello and welcome to the Mornington Peninsula Regional Galleries Conversation Series, a podcast for people curious about art and the lives of artists. In this episode, Artistic Director Danny Lacey talks to Annika Romain, the winner of the 2020 National Works on Paper, about her award-winning work, Endurance 5. After growing up in Canberra, Annika decided against studying medicine and began studying art at the ANU. Through her softball and academic achievements, she received a full scholarship to the Morgan State University, historically a black college in Baltimore in the US, to do a liberal arts course. Annika describes her ambitious printmaking process where she captures her fascination with the natural world in large-scale prints. Thanks for joining us today, Annika. Thanks for having me, Danny. Wonderful so to nice be here. So nice to see you and have you down at the MPRG. Yeah, it's great to be here and to get a chance to see the exhibition. It's really some stunning works on display. Yeah, and it's been so nice to spend the afternoon with you at the gallery and to look at your National Works on Paper winning work, Endurance 5, mm-hmm. and to share the exhibition with you. I guess the year that we've had last year... Um, and the inability to be able to travel and to cross borders. Uh, It's so nice to actually be able to sit down with you and have a conversation and talk a bit more about your practice and the work. Yeah, definitely. It's taken a while to get here, but really nice to see the work in this context and to physically be near it again and see the velvety blues and the things that don't quite come across in the photos that I have to remind me of it kind of strange when you've been so connected to a work in the making and then it goes off and has a life of its own. Yeah, and it's an interesting point because I guess all through last year when the gallery was closed, I guess what we were craving the most was that sort of tactility of artworks Mm. in a way and we've really found that when we've been reopened and National Works on Paper is a great example. There's so much diversity and texture and it's great to see paper used in such a diverse range And we're sort of enjoying people coming back into the gallery and just sort of loving seeing works again. Yeah, Um, fantastic. Yeah. So I'm going to start by asking you if you were creative growing up and I guess what inspired you to become an artist? Mm. Yeah, I think I was, I have always been creative and I have always loved drawing since I was a child. Uh, I do remember my first coastal drawings Um, at Mary Beach on the New South Wales south coast um, had a lot more sparkles and dolphins than (laughs) the one that you'll see on display in this exhibition. But I guess I was also a young person that was engaged in lots of different things, so sport was quite important to me growing up as well, and I played music, and there were some of those things were sort of limiting how much time I was putting into, say, taking art classes at school really until I got to year 11 and 12 when I started studying art as a major and my passion for that just kept growing and I think one of the turning points or important moments was in year 11 or 12 when we were sent on an independent assignment to find an exhibition, any exhibition and to write about it and I stumbled across um, Jörg Schmeiser's uh, Antarctic series that was on display at Canberra Museum and Gallery and was really sort of taken aback by like the power of that place, which particularly in 2004, like it seemed like, you know, Antarctica's really at the ends of the earth and how cool that an artist could go there and share that experience. 
maybe it seems a little bit more reachable now through tourism, but I think um, it'd still be an amazing place to go to. He's an amazing printmaker and had really created some very sort of fluid and evocative etchings and particularly reworking the etching plate over and over again so that it would the iceberg would slowly transform through the series. So I think that's what sent me to maybe pursue drawing and printmaking as a medium within art. And what were the next steps, I guess, following high school? Did you apply to study art at university? Yeah, so I guess I at first I was a bit nervous about whether I should study art. I had good enough grades that people were telling me, oh, you know, you probably should study medicine. Uh, my parents luckily were very supportive and they said, like, as long as you go to university, you can study whatever you like. So I did sign up for ANU in Canberra, where I grew up, and spent the first semester there doing core studies, which was fantastic. But I got an amazing opportunity, partly through my sport, softball and academics, to have a full scholarship to study for four years in Baltimore in the US, which at that time I think I really needed a broader perspective on the world, was up for a bit of adventure and we looked in the atlas and identified Baltimore as a harbour city. I didn't know too much else about it, but I ended up at Morgan State University, which is a historically black college and university that's really plays an important part in empowering African-American students and communities and for me to study some of that history in quite a broad um, liberal arts degree, but also had like an amazing small art department with really supportive professors, a couple of whom had me stay at their house for different summers and just like went that extra mile beyond just the classroom, but really mentoring you through your development as an artist. Yeah, yeah well, sort of really important foundational years, I imagine, especially to be so far from home. Yeah. Um, how did you find being in Baltimore and being so far away from Canberra? Yeah. Um, was the study, I guess, well, the ANU Art School is a nationally renowned mm. school. It's amazing what they do up there. How did you find the experience of being in Baltimore itself? Yeah, so I flew on my 19th birthday, so it was quite an adventure for that sort of age and being away from home, living on campus really created like that safety net, I guess, where you could count on having somewhere to eat and somewhere to sleep and it was a great place to make friends. I guess the whole thing was quite interesting just from a cultural contrast to Canberra, both within the university life as well as just being exposed a little bit more to the disparities in that city and issues around race and class and the distribution of wealth was something that, you know, I hadn't been exposed to as much in Canberra. So I think that that was really worthwhile sort of experience, even though, as you say, ANU had the nationally renowned art school and Morgan State definitely wasn't renowned for its art department. It was a little bit more of that needing to be self-motivated and needing to push yourself or to kind of not be kind of like working in relation to other people but just to push yourself through your own projects in quite sort of small classes. Mm. But um, the thing that was really different about Morgan and particularly the drawing classes is there was just um, a strong sense of discipline and kind of this technical background of learning the skills in kind of representational drawing that maybe is a little different than in Australia. So it would be kind of 
drawing the same still life of cubes and cylinders and spheres in charcoal and pen and ink and ink wash and pencil and then do it all again to see if you've improved. So I think like at the time that was really hard work but it did give me a good foundation that I've been able to sort of over the years kind of mould into my own kind of merge with my own mark making and make into something more personal. Mm. And when you were over in Baltimore did you study printmaking or did you sort of come back to that more once you came back to Australia? Mm, I didn't really focus on printmaking. Uh, When I went over there, I had signed up to study printmaking, but they advised me that I would be the only student and the facilities weren't really uh, tailored for printmaking. So I was encouraged with my love of drawing to try illustration and I focused particularly on book illustration. But in the context of liberal arts, like you also did some wood carving and some oil painting and some ceramics and art education. So it was kind of a good chance to get a taste of lots of different things. But it was when I came back to Canberra that I studied an honours year at ANU, sort of under the supervision of John Pratt, who was really encouraging for me to pick up some of those printmaking techniques that others um, had already learnt. And I was sort of sitting in on third-year classes for etching and lithography, just to pick up some skills that seemed like they would match with my drawing style. Mm. And during that period, I'm really interested to hear, I guess, about stylistically your work, what the sort of images that you were working on at that time, and and I guess the transition to some of the work that you're making now, which is very landscape-based. Were you always Mm. working with that idea of the landscape, or how did that come about? Yeah, I think it's kind of emerged and evolved over time, but there's always been an interest in the natural world. Even when I was in Baltimore and doing book illustration, which has the potential to be kind of more commercially driven and having more input from other people, I tended to take the projects as an opportunity to write my own story so that I could direct what was the imagery that I would get to draw. And it would be things like maple trees, because that was living in this really urban environment. Seeing the autumn colours changing was one of the most beautiful and exciting things. And so just even you know, the street trees around my school were a source of inspiration. And coming back to Australia, I could probably better appreciate the beautiful landscape that I'd grown up um, so familiar with, especially now, you know, really still living in Canberra, appreciate having so much bush and nature reserves, national parks surrounding us. But through honours, I was looking at things under my dad's microscope. So he's a scientist, metallurgist to be specific, but I was just looking at my own collections of corals and shells that I'd picked up out of curiosity from beaches over the years and using that as kind of a portal or a um, way to enter into another, like a miniature world in the palm of your hand and kind of bringing a slightly surreal or imaginative interpretation to the sort of micro aspect of the natural world. And over the years, it's kind of gradually broadened out from looking at the amazing kind of complex compositions of shapes and colours and light from just patches of rocks by the roadside or broadening up to kind of sections of canyon walls. And I think there was, a for a lot of years, a kind of struggle with whether to include the horizon or not because it felt like not having the horizon made it so much more open to possibilities in terms of 
scale and how it could be interpreted in a more abstract way. But, you know, more recently I've kind of embraced that amazing kind of blue that you see on the horizon and particularly high horizon lines as I'm kind of looking up or looking down at once uh, at the rocks at my feet, but also out across bays and towards, you know, headlands in the distance, having the horizon above the eyeline of the viewer so it feels like you could be immersed or you could step into the work of art. Mm. And I guess that's a sort of visual representation of your experience of being in the landscape as well. We are just talking earlier that you've been on quite a few big walks recently uh, yeah. down in Tasmania. How do you translate that experience of being in the landscape and walking in the landscape into your artworks? Mm. Yeah, that's something that I've been sort of occupied with for the last number of years, like trying to bring together those two loves of being outdoors and walking and hiking or kayaking um, being immersed in the landscape it kind of at first was that I didn't want to feel sort of guilty for being away from the studio and doing this other thing that I loved but trying to find a way to merge those two interests together and I think I've often you know started engaging with a place just using a very small sketchbook and sort of sitting drawing from observation as a way to embed that moment or that place in my memory and usually the sketch never ends up being exhibited or isn't really upscaled. It's just a thing of its own, like a personal diary and a starting point. Often I find I'll move then onto photography because when you're walking, everything's, you know, you're sort of moving in and out and close and far too quick that I couldn't really keep up with doing sketches of all the things that my eye is, is caught by, like once you really start looking closely, there's that sense of wonder that just sort of makes you feel, you know, very connected to that place, but exploring it through both its details as well as more broadly. So I guess that's when I'm making works to try to convey that experience. I'm trying to move away from maybe landscape paintings that I've seen, you know, in elaborate gold frames that tend to survey across a territory from afar but by just using the tip of my finger in thousands of these repetitive little marks I'm kind of trying to get a bit more intimate or closer to the place and to give a sense that there's these different layers from the smallest details like the work that's um, on display here at Mornington Peninsula Regional Gallery is based off this amazing place Gorilla Bay on Ewan country on the New South Wales south coast and there's so many layers to that environment from the sort of rocks that go back 450 to 510 million years like this kind of unfathomable deep geological time to then like the expanses of ocean that kind of stretch out into the distance there's even more than I've been able to explore. Um, I was reading about these micro fossils that have like really ancient type of eel that you that you'll have to go and have a look at the rocks with a microscope to be able to see. But there's just like amazing textures and every time you go there, the light is different, the weather is different. So I could keep working on that series for a little bit mm. longer as I continue to think about the importance of place maybe earlier on more works were about further afield travels like going back to America and to the Grand Canyon or having a scholarship to go um, into the Spanish Pyrenees but 
more and more I'm more interested to know about the places close at home and the places that sort of pull you back that I want to keep revisiting as a kind of touchstone. Yeah, and it's I find it quite fascinating that I guess you're talking about the layers within the landscape, but also the way that you are capturing that. So making drawings and sketches and then taking photos Mm. and obviously the experience of actually moving through the landscape Mm. and then using printmaking to actually articulate all of that in a way. And and we've spoken about this before, but I'd love to hear about the process of uh, your printmaking and how you actually make those works. Endurance 5, which is obviously we've got on display down here at the gallery, is stunning in its sort of magnitude, I think, but it really does capture a sort of multiplicity of the landscape. And I think it's just the the technique that you use to actually imbue these tiny little marks across the whole surface. So Mm. at once it's this huge landscape, but then there's these micro details. Mm. Um, Yeah, I'd love to hear more about your process. Yeah, sure. And I think that's interesting, yeah, that you were talking about the contrast of the scale and the detail because I guess I was finding that with etching and lithography the more traditional printmaking methods that I started with that it was a little unsatisfying um, because you were working on the biggest lithographic stone that was available in the studio pouring yourself into it for six weeks and kind of really being quite happy with it when it seemed kind of monumental as an object and then when you printed it on paper you had like one medium-sized 56 by 76 centimeter sheet that didn't really convey that experience of being in the landscape. I felt that I needed to go larger and more ambitious with my work and monotype was a good in-between. It's seen as like the painterly print or maybe a very direct and very simple form of printmaking and that you just paint directly onto a plate. Usually I've been using for my work polypropylene. It's like a thin plastic sheet, which I'll prime with gum arabic and then paint directly with watercolour. Usually I'm working kind of back and forth in a subtractive additive process. So it's putting on a kind of mid-tone wash, uh, maybe blocking out some of the larger shapes and then lifting back out with a chuck swipe a wet rag around my finger to get back to the white marks and then going back in with a brush with some darker areas and then back in again with the brush for the darkest areas. In this one, I've kind of built up that really velvety ultramarine blue just through that layering and building up more of the paint or the pigment on the plate and kind of incorporating some paints grey in there as well for the darkest areas. So it's a process then that's kind of needs to be transferred from this plastic plate where you can achieve effects that you couldn't do on paper like you can lift all the way back to white which is often um, a challenge for watercolorists and you can also get really um, beautiful fluid experimental sort of dripping marks that I've utilized particularly in the sky the sort of suggestion of the stormy sky in my work Endurance 5 and so I like the fact that I can get those effects, but I c- can't really exhibit the plastic plate. So it's then about soaking some cotton thick sort of etching paper and putting it through an etching press where the heavy pressure and the dampness of the paper allows the watercolour to transfer. Um, I work on one panel at a time and this work has 
has nine panels. panels. (laughs) So it's a process that actually has allowed me to approach or conceive of doing really big ambitious things, but it's not overwhelming because I'm just doing it a little bit at a time. I guess the challenge, or conceptually for me as well, is how you match up those panels. Mm. Uh, You use the same plate for each of the, the individual sheets. Yeah, generally, I mean, I like that a lot of traditional printmaking like etching, you would be using a whole lot of copper plates that become more of a drain on resources. So it's nice that with this plastic plate at the end of each panel, I can wash it off and reuse that plate over and over again. So for this work, that was the process. I would make a print, usually starting with, say, the bottom left corner, and then I'll put it up on my pin board and go on to the next one. The good thing about working on the plastic is that it's transparent, so I can flip it around back the front because every time when you work with printmaking the print comes out in reverse of what you see on the plate so I can sort of flip it around and pin it next to the previous print and draw a few um, key lines with permanent marker on the back or on the sides where I need things to line up and then I kind of just go freehand it's kind of more exciting to work that way and I don't really mind if you look really closely like a few little things won't match up exactly. I think that the sort of overall effect is still there and it kind of just acknowledges that it is made out of a grid of paper mm. pieces. So, yeah, that's just the physical quality of it and part of the process. Yeah. The ultramarine blue is just sort of stunning. It's so mm. actually saturated, really, mm. and the different tonal qualities you get with that sort of colour. You talk about, I guess, the use of that colour... Mm. why you've chosen that colour. Yeah, definitely a favourite colour of mine and some one that I've come to appreciate even more on working with it, just that really rich and deep sort of tonal range that you can achieve while still having quite a sort of saturated colour that draws you in. And I think it's an emotionally charged colour and something that a lot of people who've experienced the work have really responded to. So when I was working on this series or starting to think about working on Gorilla Bay which was a, you know, personally very important place, a place that I'd spent some really wonderful times with my family in the last summer of my mum's life. You know, that place had memories and meaning that I wanted to acknowledge in kind of more than just representational sense, more of an evocative sense of sort of loss and longing. But I guess I was also thinking about a book by Rebecca Solnit that is called A Field Guide to Getting Lost. And it has some really beautiful imagery and and thoughts about the blue of distance. So that unreachable blue that's on the horizon and kind of sitting with it and kind of accepting that there's a beauty in longing itself. And so when she's talking about the blue of distance, which was a big inspiration for the selection of that colour in my work, um, she talks about the distance between us and the object of desire that fills the space between with the blue of longing and wondering whether with a slight adjustment of perspective it could be cherished as a sensation on its own terms since it's as inherent to the human condition as the blue of distance. Uh, If you look across the distance without wanting to close it up, if you can own your own longing in the same way that you own the beauty of the blue that can never be possessed. And just... In that sort of leading through to her thinking about place, where she says, thus place, which is always spoken of as though it only counts when you're present, possesses you in its absence, 
takes on another life as a sense of place, a summoning in the imagination with all the atmospheric effect and association of a powerful emotion. The places inside matter as much as the ones outside. So it was kind of about, like, I live in this inland city in Canberra, but there is a connection since childhood to the south coast of New South Wales, um, to Ewan country, as many Canberrans and Australians have experienced, and kind of wanting to work within the studio to try to reimagine that place, letting the paint itself and the way that it would drip and run across the plate influence the mood, the atmosphere, the kind of weather of the image, not needing to stay true to reality, but just entering into that more liminal space like you might imagine on that distant horizon. Mm. It's interesting because there's been a few visitors that have come in that have instantly recognised mm. that place, mm. who have obviously had quite a personal relationship to that space as well. Yep. But there's enough of a sort of, I guess, abstraction within that that it does talk to like even our coastal environment as well. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I think you've done a, a fantastic job to capture not only that personal inside of that space, but mm. as a representation of a part of Australia. It's quite a beautiful uh, and powerful work. Yeah, thank you. That's definitely something that I'm keen to kind of acknowledge and to balance that I don't know, you know, while there's personal meaning there for me and kind of drive in terms of making the work, it's much more, you know, open to interpretation. Once people see it, I see that they would probably connect more with that universal allure of the ocean and the kind of threshold between rock and water and kind of the comfort of the land and the unknowable nature of that vast expanse. It's amazing how many people um, have been able to then share with me their love of that particular place. I think it is an area that just is quite sort of unique, but then also, as you say, connects to a broader appreciation for the coast. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, I guess, what does it mean to you to win the National Works on Paper? It's mm -hmm. a very nice phone call to actually make to you to yeah. let you know that you'd won the award. But yeah, it'd be great to hear from your perspective what that sort of means to your practice and career mm. yeah I mean it was amazing phone call to hear definitely a nice surprise and really affirming that you know like I feel strongly about the work that I'm making and I'm proud of the work that I exhibited but it's always nice you're often working for so many hours kind of isolated in your studio to know that people are responding and people are noticing the work that you're doing yeah so it's something I guess I've been working away for about the last 10 years out of art school, kind of developing my practice and have entered plenty of exhibitions and prizes before, but come to kind of not expect anything of them, just to be really thrilled with this particular one, to be getting to see it in person now and really appreciate the amazing artists that I'm exhibiting alongside. But yeah, to be singled out is very special and I'm sure we'll, you know, having the support of the Mornington Peninsula Regional Gallery and the prize money will just get poured back into my practice and allow me to take up opportunities to exhibit and do residencies and all of the things that kind of go into sustaining a, an art practice. Mm. Slightly left a field question, but I'm just thinking, and I know we were talking earlier about your sort of bushwalking, mm -hmm. what's the sort of biggest or most exciting track that you've been on 
over the last sort of 10 years or so. It's definitely hard to think off the top of my head, but it was, I mean, it's kind of fresh in my mind. So I did really love just recently over New Year's going down to the South Coast track at the bottom of Tasmania, flying in to Melaleuca, kind of beyond where any of the roads go to, and then walking for a week across beaches and plains and some quite high mountain ranges, being able to walk out to islands on sand spits and just stay at these kind of secluded campsites and just get into that really meditative kind of pace, the very human pace of walking, of navigating the environment um, where you're sort of just walking for eight or nine hours a day and you don't have anything else to do but walk and to appreciate everything around you and just sort of being at the whims of the weather and just experiencing as you go. There's been some other pretty powerful ones that come to mind too, like both with walking but also having the chance to raft down the Franklin River um, and through the Grand Canyon, which is probably where that part of that interest in the power of the water carving into rock and rock shaping the path of water and those kind of interactions really started coming to the forefront of my mind. Mm. Yeah, and it's great that you can have that passion, but then you can start to incorporate back into your art practice as well. That's mm. really, really great. Yeah. I've got one last question where I ask everyone this. What advice would you give to artists just starting out? Mm. Uh, go for it. You know, I think like as a younger artist, I kept wondering, uh, you know, how do I discover my personal point of view or my personal style or that kind of thing? And it doesn't really happen overnight probably when you stop asking yourself then maybe you kind of on your way I think you just have to make a lot of work dedicate yourself to practicing with my watercolor monotypes at this point now I've just made so many been through the process so many times that the technical part is it takes care of itself to a certain extent so when people kind of ask me you know how do I do those kind of things and make it match up and stuff it's I've just done it repeated it a bunch of times and that kind of opens up for other explorations and possibilities but probably more importantly uh, what I think young artists can do is to get involved whether you're in a big or small community you know get involved with your local galleries and studio spaces uh, to meet other artists and to support each other. There's been so many opportunities that have come through artists and friends recommending me and vice versa, like trying to pay it forward and pass those opportunities on to other people. So I think it, it would be a very kind of lonely journey if we didn't have that support structure of other artists looking out for each other. Yeah, and I think now more than ever we need that community of artists and, mm. and arts workers to support each other and to get through what we've been through and, and keep ploughing on and yeah, yeah, working together and supporting each other going forward. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for coming down to Mornington. Congratulations again on winning the National Works on Paper. I've really enjoyed chatting to you today and I'm sure our listeners will love hearing this podcast. So thank you. Yeah, thanks, Danny. Good to be here. Thanks for listening to our conversation series. Mornington Peninsula Regional Gallery is the region's major cultural facility and is supported by Mornington Peninsula Shire and other partners. 
visit mprg.mornpen.vic.gov.au to find out about our latest exhibitions and events.